So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm so excited for this to be the launch of our Theology of the Body series. And we're going to take a couple months going through this every day. Maybe Theology of the Body was prior to your time and you hear other people in the church younger than you who talk a lot about it, but you never really understood what it fully was. It wasn't a part of your catechesis, and maybe you thought that it was just a part of teen education. It's actually not. I'm going to tell you what Theology of the Body is, and maybe you're one of those people who you hear people throughout the letters T-O-B, that means Theology of the Body in short, or other lingo, and you feel a little left out, such as when maybe someone sings a Salve Regina or Ave Maria or other prayers and you don't know the lyrics. This is your crash course, but it's not just for beginners. It's for all of us. We're going to walk through the full text of Pope St. John Paul II and dive into, I'll break it down and highlight key areas of every Every single one of his 133 catechetical talks. So what is Theology of the Body? I think an intro is to know first and foremost that it was a series of catechesis that were given during the Wednesday audiences in St. Peter's Square between the time of 1979 and 1984. So over a five-year period, there was a brief break right around 1981 when Pope St. John Paul II had been shot. Now, During that time, he was recovering and came back eventually and continued his catechesis where every week he delivered a talk, a strong, robust catechesis on what he thought was, in many ways, the most relevant and important topic, bridging together faith and culture. The context of this and the big picture, if we think about it, starting in 1979 and running to 1984, this is the tie to the sexual revolution of second wave feminism. It's on the heels, really, in many ways, of the Industrial Revolution, significant because the sexual revolution had sexualized the individual at the same time as supposedly freeing women from the shackles of fertility, liberating women from marriage, from home, and many other things we could discuss. The Industrial Revolution brought about a different type of workforce, a workforce that was radically transformed with the implementation machinery, more of a focus on cities, and the leaving behind of the ways we used to know, not just of hunting and gathering, but at that time of turning away from the agriculture culture that many people lived on a smaller scale within their communities. Also, this is coming up on the end of the 20th century, which was the bloodiest century in recorded history. So this is a context of when Pope St. John Paul II delivered his catechetical talks over five years known as the Theology of the Body. Now, another little bit of particular context that's significant, when Pope St. John Paul II introduces the Theology of the Body in the very first catechetical teaching, He actually announces that this is to go alongside what was then going to be a synod of the bishops and cardinals, specifically on the topic of the duties of the Christian family. And he was using this catechetical teaching of the theology of the body to help in influencing the synod, to help in preparing people for the synod, that is the bishops, the church, and talking about the duties of the Christian family, but also to be there present side by side with this synod, this massive gathering. If you don't know what a synod is, it's a gathering of bishops to really focus on a particular issue of the time. We could get much more into the theology of it, but that's really what it is, focusing on what's happening in the church. What, what do we need to address? 
Now, here is something that I think is important also when we introduce theology of the body. The man himself, Pope St. John Paul II, I think that he needs a little introduction. And I'll talk a little bit more about him during the series to help contextualize what he's teaching. And we'll do a more robust introduction to JP2 himself. But right now, for the context of introducing theology of the body, he lived in this particular context. The tide of the sexual revolution, on the heels of the industrial revolution, and coming on the end of the 20th century, the bloodiest century in recorded history. He lived in that. He lived under Nazi German occupation. He lived under a communist regime. He saw the challenge and the attack of faith and intellectual ideas in conversation with each other. He was orphaned. His mother died at a very young age for him. His brother, his father, he found himself in his very early 20s with no one around him familiarly in a very hostile environment. He was a part of the underground church, the underground culture, trying to humanize the human person again during the bloodiest century in recorded human history. He himself was the target of great controversy, even as priest, bishop, and eventually as pope. And I know we could dive into the imperfections that every human being has, but we know him today as Pope St. John Paul II. And in the face of even his own imperfections, we celebrate the power of God's grace and the transformation of God's grace and forgiveness. And he was canonized a saint some years ago. I think we're actually approaching not too far away from it being 10 years. I can't remember exactly what year. I think around 2014 he was canonized. Uh, he's effective, if you didn't know this, when exorcists talk about their exorcisms, they will call upon the aid of various saints. And yes, he was canonized in 2014. And when the exorcists call upon the aid, the intervention of some of the saints, they'll do everything from including relics to praying for that saint's intercession during the exorcism. And one saint in particular who has been extremely powerful during the exorcisms and being a great interceder before the heavenly throne of God and helping to combat the demonic realm in this world has been Pope St. John Paul II. So let's talk a little bit more about Theology of the Body as we kick off the series. I'll just share personally, Theology of the Body has been a particular area of academic study for me and writing. It has been an area I've written extensively and taught on. I first fell in love with Theology of the Body in college, but I was introduced to it in high school. During high school, uh, my mom had helped to run a Theology of the Body program through our parish, specifically introducing this idea of Theology of the Body, how it impacted our responsibility in terms of how we lived our lives, in terms of an integrated sexuality with our faith, and that everyone is called to this integrated sexuality, whether you're a priest, religious, single, or married. Chastity is for everyone, but it's so much more than that. In Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, it's not just a version of theology that talks about sex. It's human anthropology, it's biblical, it's philosophical, and it's for every age range, not just something to be taught to teenagers. And certainly, my hope, and this is why we're kicking off this series, not something to just read a commentary on. But I encourage you, if you will, to pick up Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. The interpretation by Michael Waldstein, I'll post a link on that. And I actually had the honor to study under one of Michael Waldstein's primary protégés coming after him. 
And it was a pleasure to do so because I was able to understand from the perspective of people who had been in direct contact with Pope St. John Paul II, who had studied and worked very closely in interpreting and making sure the accuracy of his work was very robust and clearly taught and articulated now in the 21st century. So in that, during college, it was a key area of study for me. And I'll always have, I think, a strong affinity to Pope St. John Paul II because I went to John Paul the Great Catholic University. That's where I met my husband. And I always joke when I was working on media training, learning to speak more and work with the media, uh, back right around when Pope St. John Paul II was being canonized in 2014. I was right in between undergraduate and graduate work. And I remember I was prepping for various interviews and they were preparing me to deal with handling the sex abuse scandal at the time. And we're, you know, I'm doing great, you know, doing these practice videos on how how can we better articulate and converse with the media. And it was really funny during the training. Someone was asking a question. I don't remember what the question was. And I'm side by side with one of my interview partners. And I say, oh, well, I'm a JP2 Catholic. You know, I, what I meant by that was I was very much so formed by the writing and work of Pope St. John Paul II. The person next to me quickly articulates and he says, we're a Pope Catholics. We're not worshipers of a particular Pope. We are Pope Catholics. We follow the Roman pontiff who is the head of the church. And I always laughed about that because it was a very good learning lesson because as Catholics, we never worship a saint. We never worship a particular leader in the church, whether it be our local pastor, a bishop, a cardinal. We can have a strong level of reverence and respect for their writings, but we never worship the individuals themselves. And that's important because human beings are flawed. Without Jesus Christ's grace, there's a lack of perfection that occurs. And so I always got a kick out of that when we were training for media, that we have that perspective and always comparing what was said, for example, by people such as Pope St. John Paul II to the continuous teaching of the Catholic Church. And that's what theology of the body is. It's consistent with all of the teaching of the church from the dawn of history, the stories we read of Genesis chapter one, all the way to the end of sacred scripture and revelation, the robust philosophical teaching of the church to even the individual states. Much of Pope St. John Paul II's work is based on quite a bit of St. John of the Cross's work as well. And we'll talk about that as this series goes on. And so it's very Carmelite. It's very much so centered on the mystical theology of the church, along with that biblical, philosophical, and at the end of the day, anthropological perspective that we all need on who we are. Before we dive into that first catechesis, I do want to touch on how prophetic Pope St. John Paul II's work was. I gave you the context for when he started to deliver this, all of this again, during the tide of the sexual revolution, the heels of the industrial revolution, and in the bloodiest century in recorded human history. But it's prophetic because although we were already at that time when he delivered it between 1979 and 1984, those five years that these lectures, these catechetical teachings were given in St. Peter's Square, at that time we were already seeing a massive reduction of the human person to just a compilation of cells, of matter. There's a lost sense of the creator, and there was a deep-seated need to understand the value and dignity of the human person. Pope St. John Paul II is known for referring in our culture to needing to build up a culture of life and destroy the culture of death. But even that statement alone was prophetic. 
Because that culture of life, well, when he was talking about it, we often interpreted and he spoke of it with regard to protecting babies from the destruction of abortion, of honoring life at all stages, even the elderly, even the middle of life with euthanasia. But it's rather prophetic because we live in a culture where abortion has been horrific. We talked about the 20th century being the bloodiest century in recorded history. That doesn't even include the number of legal abortions happening in this nation and internationally. But I think the culture of life also encompasses in Pope St. John Paul II's work, honoring our own lives, having a culture of being pro our lives along with the lives of others. Because again, we can't give what we don't have. And so really at the end of the day, theology of the body is a gospel. It's the gospel of life. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why when it begins, and we'll dive into this in a moment, we start with the words of Jesus Christ, where he refers back to the beginning, the dawn of creation, the beginning of the human person. Why was theology of the body so prophetic? Because it's relevant to our modern day context. We see the prevalence of LGBTQ ideology, specifically gender ideology, that says you're neither male or female, you can be whatever you want. Even in the realm of artificial intelligence, transhumanism, third-party reproductive technology, the prevalence of human trafficking, where today there are more slaves at a time when slavery is illegal than there ever were when slavery was illegal. We live in many ways in a post-Christian era, and people are asking, I think, the same questions we've always asked. Who am I? What am I? And where am I going? Where am I now? Why am I here? To that question today, when we say, who am I? The culture says you're no one. But we as Christians say we're creatures created by the creator and made for him. When asked, what am I? I think the world says you're whatever you want yourself to be. But we know we're human people, and with that comes a nature, a purpose, an identity, a direction. And if we were to ask the question, where am I? Why am I here? Well, I think the world says you're disembodied. There's no significance to where you are. But we believe we're pilgrims who are made for heaven but have free will. And so I think that's the particular context of situating what theology of the body is. And I know that's a long introduction, but it helps us to understand how profound theology of the body, Pope St. John Paul II's five years of catechesis was, and how important it is today in that Pope St. John Paul II, in his writing of theology of the body, took all of church teaching and applied it and it prepared us to combat some of the most radical ideologies against the human person, destroying God and therefore trying to destroy our nature and how we interact with one another. So again, theology of the body is biblical, it's philosophical, but at the end of the day, it's our human anthropology. And I stand by that. I remember some years ago before my husband and I got married, he started attending some of my presentations and lectures I had been given. And over and over again after he'd say, wow, the church is so scientific. I hadn't realized it. And he'd say it over and over again because we can put side by side theology, philosophy, sociology, psychology, All of it lines up to build a strong and robust human anthropology that has been there since the beginning, that has been there in each page of the written word of sacred scripture inspired by God. And that's why we're doing this Theology of the Body series. Because many people say, I never had it, it was before my time or after my time, or it seems like inside lingo and maybe you just thought it was a sexualized version of theology. And that's simply just not what it is. 
it's part of it, but in no way is it all of it. So let's start at the very beginning. The first catechesis on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body was given in St. Peter's Square during a Wednesday audience where all the pilgrims and tourists from all over gather there in St. Peter's Square in Italy, and the Pope delivers a catechetical talk known as his Wednesday audience. The first in the series of Theology of the Body, the very first of the 133 lectures given was on September 5th, 1979. And the theme of many of these first catechetical talks has to do with this idea of referring to the beginning of time, the dawn of creation. Jesus Christ is in the midst of this conversation with what are referred to as his interlocutors. He's engaging with the scribes and Pharisees with regard to marriage. And specifically, really, the indissolubility of marriage, whether or not marriage is for life, whether or not you can be divorced. And interestingly, this is where Pope St. John Paul II chooses to begin the conversation. Now, remember, theology of the body is at the time when the duties of the Christian family were being discussed by the church there in 1979. And so we begin with turning to Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 19 and looking what was the initial intention of God with regard not just to marriage, but to the human person. And it's riveting because Pope St. John Paul II, in diving into this human anthropology, starts with marriage, but he starts with it from the beginning and quoting specifically Jesus Christ in the words of Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read to you briefly here, Matthew chapter 19. We're starting at verse three. Here we know that Jesus has finished a series of speeches. He's leaving Galilee and he's headed into Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd is following him. Here the Pharisees are confronting Jesus. We read, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Jesus said to them, for your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for unchastity, and marries another, commits adultery. And so what we unpack here in the Theology of the Body, this is where Pope St. John Paul II begins in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark 10. So we read again those words that I think are very significant. So Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man asunder. Let no man try to separate. So remember, this is what is being emphasized by Pope St. John Paul II referring to Jesus, that from the beginning, when we talk about the human person in the context of current history, that what Jesus referred to at the time when the Pharisees were combating him in his lifetime, Jesus referred back to the dawn of creation, that creation account in Genesis chapters one and two. And he refers to marriage. Now, this is significant because we as Catholics know marriage is a sacrament. It's meant to be permanent, exclusive, and fruitful, among many other things. But what we see is we've also already seen that Jesus had attended the wedding feast of Cana, where he blessed the feast, brought about the 
miracle of the wine, the wine that had run dry, that ran out at the wedding feast. So we understand that Jesus has already put a particular emphasis on the significance of marriage, the celebration of marriage. But symbolically, what we read into this is that Jesus Christ supplies the graces for an effective and successful marriage. And so with that in mind, when we look at theology of the body, we see that Pope St. John Paul II is pointing to Jesus' teaching of fidelity and permanence that God intended from the beginning. In fact, Pope John Paul II says that Jesus Christ confirms the eternal law formulated and instituted from God, the beginning, as man's creator. That theology of the body here is saying that Jesus Christ is saying that God is the human person's creator and we have to refer back to the beginning. In fact, Pope John Paul II says Jesus confirms the primordial law of the creator. That above all else, God is the creator, he has a law, and we have to look at what he intended for the human person since the dawn of creation. His focus is on Jesus by appealing to the beginning. Pope St. John Paul II focuses in on the mystery of creation. And when I say the mystery of creation, Pope John Paul II said the mystery of creation, the mystery of the beginning of the creation of the human person and what was intended. There, Pope St. John Paul II says man was found precisely as male and female. So he talks about marriage first, but he now talks about not just marriage, but the reality of being made male and female. He said, with this, this helps us in understanding when GP2 says that we must understand the normative meaning of the words of Genesis. What does that mean? The normative meaning of the words of Genesis. How normal it was then and how normal it is now for who we are as human beings. That we're male and female and that from the beginning God intended us with a purpose and that man and woman in marriage are not to be separated. The focus and summary, I would say, the responsibilities of Christian family life is what Pope St. John Paul II is finishing this very first talk and discussing. He says in his first catechetical talk of Theology of the Body that the focus here is the responsibility of Christian families. He says, particularly the responsibilities for the tasks that Christ gives to marriage and to the Christian family. So what are those tasks so far that have been given? In the Theology of the Body, it's focusing on the fact that we are made male and female, that no one should come between husband and wife, and the two become one flesh. And again, that nothing can separate what God has joined together. And that's very significant. And so here we're seeing that Pope St. John Paul II is summarizing his very first catechetical talk is talking about eternal truths. And he's going to continue to talk about these as we continue through the series because his launching point is helping us to understand the beginning. As he said earlier, that primordial law of the creature, that this is what Jesus Christ is confirming in the human person when he's quizzed about divorce. He says it was not so from the beginning. It was never the intention. Jesus Christ is confirming the primordial law of the creator, as Pope St. John Paul II says. This is our launching point for understanding the eternal truth that is relevant today and was relevant then for the human person. We want to make sure we understand that this is the context of what we understand to be the anthropology that Pope St. John Paul II was handing down to us from a biblical and philosophical perspective. Now, 
moving forward, Pope St. John Paul II in this next catechetical teaching, which, by the way, again, I did a whole introduction of what theology of the body is, the context of the timing, how prophetic it was, a little bit on GP2 himself. Pope St. John Paul II then dives into, right at the beginning of his theology of the body, this idea of maleness and femaleness. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus refers back to the beginning. Have you not read that from the beginning, the creator created them male and female? Here, Pope St. John Paul II is pointing to Jesus' line in the sand saying, when we talk about the human person, when we talk about marriage, we have to start with a baseline. And that baseline is that we have a creator, we are creatures, and Jesus is asking us, to have that simple mindset. And I challenge you to ponder what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, and make it relevant to today. Because Jesus Christ, the gospel is always relevant to today. And the teaching of the church is always relevant to now. And so imagine Jesus was looking at you as you're talking about, well, what if there are different genders? What about this? What if someone wants to pursue a same-sex relationship? This is what Jesus Christ said. Have you not read that from the beginning, the Creator created them male and female? And from there, Pope St. John Paul II, in his second catechetical talk with Theology of the Body, talks about the creation of the human person, male and female. So if you don't know this, there are two different accounts of the creation of the world and the creation of the human person. And in Genesis chapter 1, Pope St. John Paul II walks through this very first creation account. And I'll just read briefly. It's maybe been a little while since we've unpacked sacred scripture. And if you're doing this series with me, I hope you'll really take the time to read some of the sacred scripture verses that we'll be walking through, especially right now, the first two chapters of Genesis. There in chapter 1, verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. That's Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. Pope St. John Paul II, in looking to this in the theology of the body, helps us to understand that even though human beings are created in the world, we read in this account, we have these six days of creation on the seventh day, God rests, and the human person is the pinnacle of creation on that sixth day. Even in the face of the human person being made within the context of the rest of the world, Something significant happens in Genesis chapter 1. Notice, as Pope St. John Paul II points out, that in Genesis, in that anthropology of the human person, God does not associate you and I as human beings in our likeness with the rest of the creatures, with the rest of the created world. But instead, God associates us with himself. In other words, being made in his image and likeness, having dominion over the rest of the world. This is where we point to problems with things such as ideology surrounding everything from evolution to the idea that we're just a composite of atoms and that we have too much of a carbon footprint or that our sex, the human person, is malleable or manipulatable or that we're disposable or even overpopulated. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 makes it very clear that God says, let us make man in our image 
in our likeness. Pope St. John Paul II refers to this as, quote, the definition of man based on his relationship with God. So in other words, what Pope St. John Paul II is saying is that it's essentially impossible to reduce you or I, the human person, to just another created thing by God. That we are created by God, but he associates us more with himself than with the plants and with the animals. And in the modern world, we like to talk about the human person as rational animals, but in many ways, it's very dehumanizing. We're rational creatures. There's a massive difference between a rational animal and a creature that's rational. You can't explain the human person in our depths as male or female according to the world. And that's what's wrong with what's happening today in society. We cannot be explained as human beings solely on our bodies. We as human beings transcend so much more than what we come to understand from a compilation of atoms that are malleable and manipulated. Sure, we can manipulate the body. We, I can manipulate, a plastic surgeon can manipulate a biological male to present as a female. But here's the thing. We're body and soul. And if you've ever studied philosophy, when we understand that we're body and soul, that means that the matter and form of what we are, the matter is the body, but the soul is the form of the body. And in philosophy, it's often discussed that everything is matter and form, but mostly form, more so form. That the form has that purpose, that greater understanding. And this is why theology of the body, Pope St. John Paul II, was ahead. It was prophetic because Little did he know the crisis of gender ideology that is prevalent today in the 21st century. Pope St. John Paul II, in talking about the human person, has commented that we can neither be understood nor explained in our full depth with categories taken from the world. That is the visible totality of bodies. We can't just be explained by our body. We can't just be explained by the world. But we're explained by our direct connection to God. And this is the line in the sand that's drawn and is made abundantly clear in Genesis chapter 1 is at the core of the understanding of the theology of the body, that God is our creator, we are creatures. And the baseline is understanding that gift of our maleness and femaleness. I think today we live in this self enclosed void often where we can shut in on ourselves shut ourselves away from connection responsibility and even our own needs that include our need for connection to other people we miss often our human capacity for love and relationships and from multiple perspectives not just from the idea of you know i don't want to have the commitment and responsibility to help others feel loved or help others have relationships, but we also miss our capacity and need to feel loved and have relationships. And there's a cycle that continues on and on of us rejecting our need and even rejecting our own dependence on others. And yet at the end of the day, all of us need that very communal dimension of who we are to be fulfilled. And so I bring this all up in relation to freedom because freedom today, our definition essentially is isolation. And look where that has taken us. Isolation to the point of saying I should be able to kill my own children to make my own mark on the world. Feminism. Isolation to the point of saying not only that, but I should also 
be able to say, I am an island and I can define myself in any way I like. I can create my Shangri-La. I can create my reality. I can create and make my life whatever I want it to be. And that's just not true. You don't get to have your dreams. Yes, you can chase after your dreams, realistic dreams. But often as we know, we make plans, God can laugh. Because why? Because we make plans thinking this is our path to success, achievement, human happiness. But it's often through the crucible that we come to discover authentic human freedom in love and in joy, but through the reality that human nature has fallen, the human person has fallen, and with that comes suffering as a path back to redemption. And that's why this conversation about freedom, I think we've been overly influenced by the wrong type of freedom. Pope St. John Paul II said, Freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. But we tend to reject that right, reduce it to a negligible responsibility that is severable, whether it be through something such as no-fault divorce, going no-contact, ghosting people. I think that this idea of freedom is so misunderstood in our minds as Americans in the West, that we need to ponder it from a Catholic perspective in particular. And as we continue in this series, it's important that we understand that the whole context of theology of the body really was both poignant and relevant at a time in history when the human person had been so degraded, the bloodiest century in human history. We saw the rise of Nazi Germany, the influence of communism that even here has significantly influenced us in America, even as we combat it in other countries. And now in the midst of that, Pope St. John Paul II prophetically speaks even to today, even to what we experience and the crisis of ideological disagreements that have really taken us to a point of severing relationships, seeing someone as always an enemy rather than ever a friend. And so Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body speaks into this context of human history so prophetically, presenting the church's teaching as always relevant, never changing, just expressing it in another way. And it's a biblical, philosophical human anthropology. Pope St. John Paul II presents in that we as human beings are more like God and less like the rest of creation. That in the creation account, if we read Genesis chapter 1, we understand God made us in his image and in his likeness, with a dominion over the world, and he made us, he emphasizes this, male and female. This is an essential truth that indicates and refers to who we are as particular persons, but also part of God's creation. And with this, Pope St. John Paul II in his Theology of the Body points to us as human beings in the mystery of who we are, but also understanding the purpose at the same time of being made male and female with a creator to whom has a great rule over us. And if we pause for just a moment and think about that reality, and I hope that you'll read Genesis chapters one and two as we're going through this series right now, and I'll, set, I'll give you passages to read, but specifically those two first chapters, because in it, you see that reality of being created in God's image and likeness. What does that mean? 
To be created in God's image and likeness means we have intellect and free will because God is love. And as God is love and we are made in his image and likeness, we are made for love. And the only way you can love is if you can come to know something and freely choose it. This is why the whole conversation of freedom is so relevant. And that quote I've been repeating of Pope St. John Paul II, that freedom consists not in doing what we like, but having the right to do what we ought. That we as human beings are choosing something, chasing after it, and freely loving it. That freedom has a purpose of the good, of what we ought to do. And so Pope St. John Paul II, in talking about this understanding of the human person and God's image and likeness, if we turn for a moment, we'll play into this a little more as we walk through the series. If we understand the significance of dominion that God gave us as human beings dominion over all of creation, if he made us in his image and likeness, what can we learn from that? Well, something very significant to gather here is to look at ancient history, a time before phones and even before letter writing was common before modern forms of travel, communication, that there would be these vast kingdoms, areas that were conquered, and the people were considered subjects of a particular ruler, say a king. And the king would erect in these various areas statues of himself. And these statues would be a reminder of the dominion of the king over his subjects, over the people. It would be a symbol of his law, of his rule, of his taxes, of his way of life to keep the people in check. But God created us, if you think about this, in his image and likeness. So we reflect God. We reflect God's love. Reflect God through the exercise of our intellect and will, of coming to know something, freely choosing it, of communicating it, of coming into communion with other people. This is why God's image and likeness stamped and imprinted on us is so significant in both a mysterious way, but also in an objective way of objective truths about human nature that we can draw. And this is why Pope St. John Paul II, just still in his third of 133 catechetical talks is pointing to these objective realities that we see presented in the inspired word of God of Genesis chapter one. The objectivity of the human person as a male and female created in God's image and likeness and the dominion that we have as human beings over the rest of the world. That the person, as Pope St. John Paul II refers to, again, is more set apart in his likeness toward God rather than the creatures. And this is why I radically have an objection to how often, myself included, we refer to ourselves as human beings as rational animals. We are rational animals, but we are so far separated from them that even in discussing that, the modern world does reduce us to rational animals with a blueprint potentially to be erased because our carbon footprint's too much, we're overpopulated, and so on and so forth. Or we don't like what we are, and so we can manipulate through plastic reconstructive surgeries to make ourselves whatever we want to be. But Pope St. John Paul II said the person is defined in a more metaphysical than a physical way. Everything we are, and this is a philosophical truth, everything that exists is both matter and form, but mostly form. So the matter of the body is the body, and the form of the body is the soul. So the matter of the human person is the body, the form of the human person is the soul. So we're 
matter and form, but mostly form. So we're body and soul, but mostly soul. Well, that leads us to a great sense of mystery. Again, Pope St. John Paul II said that we're more metaphysical than physical. That leads to this sense of mystery and the respect that while we have this creation narrative that we read in Genesis chapter 1, we read the creation of the human person according to Holy Scripture, the inspired Word of God. Whether you believe that that is the way the dawn of creation occurred or whether you believe that it's a story for us to understand and gather and glean information about ourselves, either way, we have to see this is our story. And the significance is the creation of ourselves, but also the mystery of being called, as we read in Genesis chapter 1, to be fruitful and multiply. Our own creation is a mystery, but also even the creation of new life is a mystery. And so as we look at this, our stories are both metaphysical and anthropological. Metaphysical in the sense that we're studying and coming to understand ourselves in our nature and existence. This is a creation of the human person. And we see ourselves within a historical context here. And in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, it's here that we read for the first time in his second of his catechetical teachings in the Theology of the Body, where he uses that phrase, Theology of the Body, within the context of understanding ourselves as a mystery, but also with objective reality of maleness, femaleness, being created in God's image and likeness, and having dominion. And at the end of the day, that means we're creatures before the Creator. And so Pope St. John Paul II, in the third and fourth catechetical teaching, starts to talk about the historical state of the human person. And he unpacks Genesis chapter 2, which is the second version of talking about the creation of the human person. And in that, Pope St. John Paul II focuses on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 on the original innocence of the human person, that this is the historical state of who we are as human beings. This is our anthropology. That yes, indeed, we know two contrasting things, but we tend to focus more on the second. The second is that we fell. Genesis chapter three tells the story of how we got it wrong, how Adam and Eve commit that primordial sin that truthfully we ourselves commit over and over again. But that wasn't the original historic perspective of who and what the human person started out as. We started out in a state that theology refers to as original innocence, that we were in a state of sanctifying grace, that we were in a state of first innocence, and that this is the situation and the context that we have to understand of the human person. In many ways, the summary of theology of the body is regaining this grace-filled understanding of the human person and ushering that into whatever context of human history, society, political crisis, internal turmoil that we experience, that we are made by God and we are created for Him. And that even in the theology of the body, in the physiology of the human person, in the sexual complementarity of who we are, that that indication of the material reality of our bodies, as male and female, and that complementarity points to the spiritual reality that we too are made to be a gift of self. That grace is what we are looking to return back to, that original state of grace. And that is only possible through the grace and sacraments of the Catholic Church, through that reunion with God, being brought back into the body of Christ. And we often, when we talk about the body of Christ, we think about the body of the Christ and all its members, you and I, the church. 
that is it. But also think at the same time of the physical body of Christ, of being united with him in his grace, in his transforming love, in his beauty, in all of his attributes. Pope St. John Paul II in his Theology of the Body, when talking about this original state of innocence in contrast to the original sin that occurs not long after that, talks about the situation of original innocence and says that these situations have their own dimension in man, in his innermost being, knowledge, consciousness, conscience, choice and decision, and all of this in a relationship with God. So what Pope St. John Paul II is saying here is that this context of the original innocence of who we are, but the reality of the impact of sin, concupiscence, our tendency towards sin, we always have to remember first most the state of original innocence, that state of grace. And that is what should influence and impact our knowledge, our consciousness, our conscience, our choices and decisions, that at the end of the day, we are returning back to that relationship with God. And that this is even what we seek for other people. That's why in a culture that is so polarized today, I think that rather than focusing on our enemy, on our foe, we have to return to desiring that state of grace for others as well. And so sometimes people will ask, well, how do you talk about the LGBTQ issues all the time? Why do you talk about them? Because it's a crisis of identity, not just a crisis of ideology. It's a crisis of identity void of the objective reality of the human person created in God's image and likeness, created for, yes, everything from sexual complementarity, but ultimately for union with God. And that complementarity reveals the call to make ourselves a gift of self and to sacrifice even our own desires in the midst of a culture that says, you do you. Pope St. John Paul II, again, in commenting on innocence, in that in original state and how sin, the fallen state of the human person, came second. And talking about this historical state of the human person, he says, Well, in every historical man, this sin is, signifies a state of lost grace. It also carries with itself a reference to that grace, which has precisely the grace of original innocence. So what is he saying? That while we look at the human person and see the fall of the human person, the brokenness in the world, we also are to see first the historical state of man the historical state of woman, and that is of sanctifying grace, of absolute innocence. This should give us hope. This is the truth that we need to speak that should form and inform us to be courageous in disagreeing with the way of the world, to have a sense of hope in God and that only in him and in his grace can we restore the fallen kingdom that we live in to bring about the new kingdom of heaven on earth. And that can be lived out now, even in the midst of the darkness and challenge we experience, even in the face of evil that continues to be prevalent, that we can see that we can be living, breathing saints in the culture. Go to confession regularly. Go to confession weekly. Stay in a state of grace and live that grace. Live that eternity, just a glimpse of it here on earth before we meet our final resting place. And I think that's the key to walking through and weeding through this ideological crisis and seeing friends rather than foes as we combat the ideologies of our time. 
Pope St. John Paul II, when talking about some of the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, and his response with regard to marriage, that Jesus Christ appeals to the beginning, the dawn of creation, the human person as created male and female, in the image and likeness of God, with dominion over the earth. And what Pope St. John Paul II emphasized is the historical state of the human person has two dimensions. First and foremost, that original state of innocence, that prior to the fall, the person had sanctifying grace. That person was in an original state of absolute innocence. But then after that came original sin, human sinfulness, concupiscence that we all carry now. But what's significant here is that we're made for so much more and we are restored by grace. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that even in the midst of that historical state of the human person, it's the prior, that is the original innocence of the human being, that we need to focus on and regain. And in fact, Pope St. John Paul II, in discussing, right after using that phrase for the first time, quote, theology of the body, he starts to talk immediately about the redemption of the body. And this is the eternal perspective that we are called to have here and now in whatever context of human history and whatever political climate or in whatever ideological crises we are experiencing in our day. In fact, Pope St. John Paul II, when talking about the redemption of the body, talks about St. Paul in his writing to the Romans where he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Why? Why do we wait for the redemption of our bodies? If God created us, aren't we good? We are inherently good, but we also have the mark of original sin, and we need to be restored to God's grace. And that is done through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ distributed to us via the sacraments in the church. And that we have a responsibility as baptized Catholics to be preserved, to be sustained in that state of grace. I remember some years ago, my friend's child was being baptized. And right after father baptized this little baby girl, he looked up at all of us, threw his finger up and made eye contact, it felt like, with every single person there for a moment of silence. And he said, and now you are responsible for helping to preserve the state of grace in this child. That is what you're responsible for as a community. But this is also what we are responsible for in ourselves. This is a responsibility for me, for our children that we have, that we understand that Even in the fallen state of the human person, we are glorified in Jesus Christ and that the redemption of the body is what all of creation groans for, as is said by St. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. This perspective is something we have to understand guarantees our relationship with God. It helps us to understand, as Pope St. John Paul II says, man's hereditary state of sin and his original innocence. And that it's the original innocence that we need to regain through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the redemption of the body. This is where I think that for us in our journey as Catholics, and I hate that word sometimes, journey as Catholics, but in our responsibility, we have to understand the fundamental role of the sacraments in our faith. That's why when we talk about theology of the body, so often people think of it as the theology of human sexuality, but it's the theology of who we are, what we are made for. It's our human anthropology. 
And in that, understanding this redemptive dimension of the human body, understanding St. Paul's comment on the groaning of all of creation for God, we see we need God in the sacraments. We need to be unified with him in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. This is why this theology of the body is Eucharistic. It should inspire us to live in total union with God. And to do that in our fallen human nature, we need sanctifying grace. We need to be restored to get grace through the sacrament of reconciliation. So if you are in any state of sin, if you are in a state of, and let's hear this and focus on this for a moment, if you are in a state of having committed a mortal sin, we all need to go running to confession when we or if we are ever in that place. Because that severs us from the life of God. That severs us from sanctifying grace. That severs us from the redemption of the body that is only possible in God. Why are things so polarizing today? Because in a society that has rejected God, we have rejected our own bodies. This is seen as evident in the gender ideology, the LGBTQ push in our culture to indoctrinate and steal children into this mindset. It's a battle for souls, not just for ideologies. It's a battle for souls, pulling people away from understanding, pulling children away from understanding their God-given identity, the rule of sanctifying grace, that in God all things are possible. Do we actually believe that? And if we do, why haven't we gone to confession? Why aren't we predisposing ourselves to receive our Lord Jesus Christ worthily in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist by going to confession? Why don't we consider going to Mass more frequently, making it a couple more times during the week to daily Mass, not because it's an obligation, because it's not, but because we're much obliged. It's our honor, it's our joy to be united with God, to be graced by God in that experience. And so the theology of the body helps us to conform our lives back to the original understanding of the intended innocence of the human being, the impact of the fall, and the reality of the redemption of the body that is only made possible in God. That's what we need to understand in the midst of our own internal turmoil, experiences within the family, experiences within our micro-communities, Experiences we see internationally, worldwide, with ideologies raging against us. This is the answer to what is happening with everything from the pro-abortion culture to the LGBTQ ideology to the brokenness within our own hearts as we groan and long for Jesus Christ.